Uh, let's just do a recap of what the last few weeks have looked like in Acts. We've gone through chapters 15 and 20, and Paul has been on the move. A few weeks ago, Zach talked to us on Acts 15 and showed us that we are saved by grace and through grace alone. Last week, we had Shay and Lauren speak on Acts 17 and showed us that all it takes is a few passionate people to change the world for the sake of the gospel. And where we are at, we actually had two sermons earlier in the year that got spoken out of Kent, talked in Acts 17 about temple, the tomb of the unknown God, and then in Acts 19, Colin talked to us on prayer and showed us that without the Holy Spirit, we can't accomplish anything more than what the seven sons of Sceva accomplished. So all these things bring us to Paul on his third missionary journey. He is in Caesarea on his way to Jerusalem. And tonight we're going to look at three separate trials that Paul has put on in these six chapters of Scripture. So I encourage you to read these on your own and to see these conversations take place and really focus on what the Holy Spirit was trying to do during this time in Paul's ministry. But before we do that, can I pray for us? Jesus, we just love you so much, Father. We just are so grateful that we get to meet here with you tonight, Lord. And I just pray that everything that comes out of my mouth is from you, Lord, and that you just be here and that we can really just learn more about Acts, but hearing, looking and hearing what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to guide our own lives. And here we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So like I mentioned, we're going to be going through six chapters of Acts tonight. It's all commentary, so I suggest you go and read it yourself. But while we were talking through this, I want you to look at every place that the Holy Spirit gave Paul knowledge. So who's ready to dive in? Man, I love it. All right. So like I said, we found Paul in Caesarea, and he is surrounded by some of his friends, and he is trying to get back to Jerusalem. He has been traveling getting all these offerings to bring back. There's a huge drought that kind of wiped out a lot of Judea. And he's bringing these back as a gift. And during this time, a man actually comes to prophesy over him. And we see that in Acts 21, 10 through 14. Several days after, later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his feet and hands with it. And then he said, The Holy Spirit declares, So shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But he said, Why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up, and the Lord's will be done. But before we move in to the rest of the scripture, I actually had a fun fact about myself. It took me seven years to graduate college. So I came, I came to Sam Houston State fall of 2012, almost 10 years ago, and I came as a forensic chemistry major. I took forensic chemistry in high school, and it was a super fun class. I came, it was in my basics, and then I found out what Degree Works was, right? Went online, saw my schedule, and saw a long list of biology and chemistry classes. Now, I hate science classes. Where's Daniel Doucette at? This guy's my hero right here, right? So he, I was taking these classes, and I was like, I hate this. I'm going to, this is what I want to do. So I did what every Sam Houston student does. 
CJ. So I transferred to criminal justice about a semester in. I was like, I would rather be making money right now. I'm going to change it to international business. And I immediately failed two classes. So all those people that took BANA and accounting, I thank, yeah, AJ got it. There we go. But went to community college, got the GPA up, came back in, and now I have a bachelor's of science in criminal justice. Yeah. I owe this school a lot of money. So, um, yeah, during this time, I started praying about my future, and I knew that God was calling me into campus ministry. And around that time, you know, went to school for a long time. The people around me, a lot of people I trusted, a lot of family kind of were like, why are you doing this? Why are you... Uh, why would you give up your financial security? Why would you give up a future and kind of doing these things? And honestly, at the beginning, a lot of it kind of made sense. And then I realized, I was like, no, like, I need to trust in what God's saying. I can't be relying on this. And during that time, God kind of gave me more of a heart for campus ministry. And I knew that that is where my calling was. And even though those around me said I shouldn't be doing this, I still obeyed because I would rather obey God than disobey him. And you can kind of see that in Paul's story. He has a calling to get back to Jerusalem to give this offering, but the people around him said it was a mistake. He could die and lose his life. And that is obedience. You know, obedience is doing what you are told and doing it quickly because you love them. And if we love God and we choose to live for him, then we must be obedient to what he has for us. So let's keep that mindset as we start moving through these chapters together. In chapter 22, we find Paul addressing a crowd of Jewish leaders. He hasn't even been in Jerusalem for a few days before he is surrounded and is getting beat in the streets. And during this time, the Roman soldiers saw this. So they were like, why are you being up this man? They pull him out and they pull him away, far enough away. And he's like, can I address this crowd? And you would think, no, get me away from these people. But Paul turned and told him his testimony. And we see that in Acts 22, 6 through 10. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light, but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything you are to do. He ends up going on to explain where his calling was, how he went to the Jews, and then how he wanted to go serve the Gentiles, and how God had called him to preach to them. If you know history, the Jews and the Gentiles do not like each other. The Jews claim that they are clean and that the Gentiles are not. They're all going to go to hell. And How do you think the Jewish leaders responded to Paul saying he needs to go serve the Gentiles? Kill this man. He is not fit to live. Okay. So the Romans are confused. They arrest Paul. They bring him away to get whipped. He's causing disturbances in the town. But right after he's, he gets with the guards, they find out that he is a Roman citizen. So, they say he's a Roman citizen, he needs to go before a Roman trial. This is a good thing, and a bad thing, right? He's getting pulled back to Caesarea to be put 
under a Roman trial. And we actually see a lot of that in chapter, in, as you, we move forward into chapter 2311, while Paul is arrested, going, about to go back to Caesarea, the Lord appears before Paul and says, be encouraged, Paul, just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must also preach the good news in Rome. How's he going to get to Rome, right? So imagine here for a second, you are in jail in Jerusalem on your way to Caesarea to be put on trial in front of a Roman official, right? You have a group of people who are trying to kill you. How am I getting to Rome, right? But Paul trusts God fully. And before we think even for one second that this is a better scenario than getting stoned in the streets of Jerusalem, let us not forget that someone does not get put into position of power in the Roman Empire because they rule lightly. To stand before a Roman official is terrifying. These guys were just as corrupt as they were evil. And in chapter 24, we see that with Governor Felix, right? He was serving as a Roman leader over Judea, and he presides over the first trial against Paul. Felix was accused of fomenting disputes between Jews and Syrians. At the time, these two groups were really hating each other, and they were kind of going at it. And then as a way to keep peace, he was killing his own Jewish people. It got to the point where he even got removed from power by Nero himself. And if you know anything about Nero, the guy that burned Rome down, who was persecuting Christians, to say to a guy in office, he is too cruel to be a ruler in the Roman Empire, says something about this man's character. Right? And so, while Paul is back in Caesarea, the Jewish leaders come down and accuse Paul for desecrating the temple, causing problems amongst the Jews. And Paul answers by telling them the truth. And by also preaching to him a bit. In Acts 24, 10 through 13, the governor then motioned for Paul to speak. Paul said, I know, sir, that you have been a judge of Jewish affairs for many years, so I gladly present my defense before you. You can quickly discover that I arrived in Jerusalem no more than 12 days ago to worship at the temple. And my accusers never found me arguing with anyone in the temple, nor storing up a stirring up a riot in any synagogue or on the streets of the city. And these men cannot prove the things that they accuse me of doing. Yeah. You can honestly see a little bit of um, a parallel between this trial and Jesus' trial yeah. and how the amount of laws that the Jewish leaders broke to try to convict two men that were both innocent. And this trial lasted about two years. Paul was, Paul was stuck in Caesarea and during this time, he didn't really complain about it. He just preached, and he would meet with Felix and his wife and continue sharing his faith about Jesus. You then realize that the only reason that Felix keeps coming back to Paul is hoping that he would get paid to release Paul. Great guy. So can you imagine that, right, for a minute? Two years, Felix was in jail. And after those two years, Felix finished with his duties but to gain favor with the Jewish people, he decided to keep Paul in prison. So, in chapter 25, Felix is succeeded by Portius Festus. You gotta love that nice Roman name. Who, while making his way around Judea, meeting with all the different leaders, is met by these same Jewish leaders who 
are making the same accusations against Paul. And they even try to convince Festus to bring Paul back to Jerusalem so they can put him on trial. They want to kill Paul. So Festus is like, no, Paul is in Caesarea. I am on my way that I am on my way there now. And if they want to make accusations, you can come and make them in my court. They make it back to Caesarea. They bring Paul out, and they start bringing up the same old charges. And while stating his defense, Festus, as a way of appeasing the Jews, asks Paul if he is willing to stand trial back in Jerusalem. Festus knows that if Paul goes back to Jerusalem, he will die. But he also knows that Paul is a Roman citizen, and he can't force him to go there and be before a Jewish court, which would inevitably find him guilty and condemn him. But he also can't set Paul free because he has this group of people that are going to be angry against him. And so we don't really know if he's trying to trick Paul. Anyway, Paul knows that he is not facing a fair trial wherever he stands. And let's just remember, if God wanted Paul back in Jerusalem, he gladly would have gone. But remember, he is trying to get to Rome. And Paul is a smart man, so... What does he tell Festus? Acts 25, 10 through 12. This is the official Roman court, so I ought to be tried right here. You know very well I am not guilty of harming the Jews, and if I have done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. But if I am innocent, no one has the right to turn me over to these men. I appeal to Caesar. And Festus conferred with his advisors and then replied, very well, you've appealed to Caesar and to Caesar you will go. Let me give you an example of kind of what just took place here. In the early 2000s, the Major Major League Baseball went under um, a court case, you would say. Basically, too many players were taking steroids. You had guys hitting baseballs out of the stadium. It was more entertaining, I agree. Anyway... (laughs) You see these very jacked baseball players. I remember Mark McGuire, who's sitting before Congress with a tie that's about to pop off his neck. And they ask Mark McGuire, they like, have you ever taken steroids? And he sits there quietly, and they're like, do you want to plead the fifth? And he is like, yes. <laughs> what does that show you about Mark McGuire? Do you think he took steroids? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Anyone that says no, you're wrong. But... It's basically like pleading the fifth. You do it when you're guilty of something. Any Roman citizen was allowed to make this request, but it was primarily used when they were found guilty of a crime and sentenced to death. This is huge. Because Paul is basically like, send me to Nero. You can't threaten my life because the moment I met God on the road to Damascus, I didn't need it. Right? Death, Death is only the beginning for everything that God has given us. And so at that moment, he basically just slammed the door in his face. He's like, if you want to kill me, send me to Nero. He's going to have to do it for you. Like, and this is, this is crazy because a few, a few days go by and King Agrippa shows up in Caesarea. This is a Roman appointed king of the Jewish people. And since he was appointed by Rome, Rome Festus wanted to impress him. Now, can you throw up that lineage? So our Agrippa II, actually his name is Herod Agrippa, right? 
And as you've heard of this lineage, you've probably recognized a few of these names. So our Agrippa, his dad, killed James, the brother of John. And his aunt, Herodias, is the one that asked for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And their grandfather, our homeboy's great-great-grandfather, uh, is Herod the Great, who killed all those babies in Bethlehem. Now, he shows up with his wife, Bernice, and as you can see on this list, Bernice and Herod Agrippa share the same dad. So I'm kind of grateful the lineage ended there, but remember, remember, hey, hey, I'm always spitting truth right now, okay? So remember, remember this lineage, because we're about to hear Paul and Agrippa talk to each other in this conversation. But before that, Festus basically tells Agrippa that Felix has left me with this problem. I have a guy sitting in my jail who keeps talking about a man that walked on water who healed all these people. And for some reason, the Jewish people hated him. But I have no idea what to do with him. And Agrippa was so intrigued, he was like, I want to talk with this guy. And so they brought him out. Military officials were there, prominent people, and a large group of people gathered in this auditorium to hear Paul and King Agrippa speak. Festus starts off with, I need to send this guy to Rome with a list of crimes, but he hasn't done anything. So I'm going to let Agrippa examine him to see if he actually was guilty of anything. So in chapter 26, Agrippa lets Paul speak in his own defense. And Paul shares the story, talks about his transformation talks about God's promises of deliverance and salvation, which is why he's here. Paul told him his whole story. He had persecuted, how he had persecuted Christians, had an encounter with the Lord, went to the Jews, and then worked for the Gentiles. In doing this, Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy, if you want to put Acts 26 up. But Paul replied, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is the sober truth And King Agrippa knows these things I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him, for they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? Because I know you do. And Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? It's kind of a smack in the face to Paul. And everything that his family has done. Yeah. And could you imagine, though, like, if he did marry someone who wasn't his sister, and they had, like, talk about generations of people, like, hearing about the story of, like, when his grand- grandpa started following Christ. Wow. In which Paul replied so humbly, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, wow. except for these chains. Then the king, the governor, Bernice, and all the others stood and left. As they went out, they talked it over and agreed that this man hasn't done anything to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, he could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. Paul's life couldn't be used against him. The moment... Like I said earlier, the moment that he was met on the road to Damascus, everything changed for him. He no longer lived for the world. 
but for his king. And that was something that Felix, Festus, and Agrippa couldn't grasp. Because if Paul was put to death in Jerusalem, he considered it an honor. Being killed in the same streets that Jesus was killed in. Being killed in the same streets where he himself took the lives of so many followers of Christ. He listened to God, and in chapter 27, he set sail for Rome. And that's where Christians get to pick up on next week, so make sure you come back. In our life, when we are obedient to God, we must do so quickly. But in a season, like attending college, it may seem like a distant thought. Why would I ask God to do something with my life when I'm, I'm only here? I don't have anywhere to go for the next few years. Well, what did Paul do when he was stuck in Caesarea for two years? He served God. And that's my prayer for us tonight. Now, I left out a pretty big part of my story on how I was called into ministry. Go back to 2018. We had something called the Men's Mission Summit. And I hear it might be coming back. I'm not sure. But all the guys in like South Texas went down to Conroe and we had a lot of our old friends, old missionaries, old campus directors come out. You know, we had calf scramble, we were camping, there was fires, there was fights, there was no showers, it was awesome. Right? So Saturday night, right, luckily it was cold, right, it was definitely colder than we thought. Uh, but... Saturday night, Dick Brogdon made an altar call. And during this time, he said that during this weekend, if you have felt the call to go overseas, um, or if you have a thought, if you want to give God your life, come down to the front, get on your knees, and ask him what your will is. I go down, and a year and a half prior, I had spent my summer overseas with a missions organization, and that's where I thought that God had me. He thought it had me overseas doing missions work. And I get down to the front, and there was just something wrong in my spirit about it. And as I sit there, one of my best friends, Dalen Rogers, uh, is talking to me, and he asked me a question that was such a simple question. But two weeks before, Colin Weezer asked me the same question. And before that, Zach Campbell asked me the same question. And it was, what if I prayed about going into college ministry right after I graduated college instead of coming overseas? Um, worship team, you can come back up. But I never asked God because what I was doing was, it was a good thing, right? Like, God, I see this need. This is where I want to go. Like, this is what I'm going to do. And I never asked God once if that's what he wanted for me. And that night, I got on my knees and I asked God, God, what is your will for my life? And at this moment in my life, I had a pretty big life change. If you want to throw that picture up. So I was, I was planning to propose to my wife, Cooper. And I knew that I couldn't, lead a, I, I couldn't lead a marriage if I wouldn't let God lead my life. 
And so I asked God, what do you want for me? And then not only what do you want for me, but what do you want my marriage to look like? What do you want my 20s and my 30s? And I don't think God has fully closed the door on my life for overseas missions. But almost three years into campus ministry, and I know this is where God has me for now. And I want to just ask a simple question of all of you that I want you to ask God. And that is, what is, what is your will for my life, God? And if he speaks to you, don't ask this question if you're not willing to obey it. You are responsible for that knowledge wherever it takes you, despite what others around you may think you must follow him. We have an old friend named Pastor Ernie down in Port O'Connor at Fisherman's Chapel. And one of the biggest things he told me, I remember me, Zach Walker, and Christian Strauss were sitting across from at a table. And he said, we all have a moment in our life where God tells us to do something, and it's our job is to do as we are told. What won't you give up to God? Financial security? Your major? What if he asks you to take a job in a community that has a small church that you need to go love? What if it's going across the world to India, to Israel, to Turkey, to Morocco, to Japan? We have so many friends scattered around this world because they ask this question. But also don't be afraid because the moment you start looking towards God, your will will change as well. And if he doesn't speak to you, keep praying and keep filling your mind with scripture and prayers and start getting close to him. And I can't wait to see what God does in y'all's lives. Because obedience is doing what you are told and doing it quickly. No matter where you are or what you are doing, obey God. And so as I pray us out and they lead us in a time of worship I want us to come to the front sit where you're at, spread around this room and ask God if what you're doing is what he wants you to do and then if he does speak to you tell your small group, tell your company it's going to be so exciting but also the moment you tell someone else they're going to fight for you right? and they're going to let you know that July, whatever date it is, the moment that you got called to go overseas, they were there with you. Don't be disobedient. Right? Jesus, we love you so much, Lord. We are so grateful for you. We're so grateful for Paul and showing us what it looks like to follow you unto death. Lord, We're just so grateful for this time we have here, the short four years or seven or more than that, Father. Hey, so we just ask that you be here with us and that you start showing us what you want. And we just pray that we can be obedient, we can go. We love you, Lord, and we're so grateful for you. Amen.